You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds. Welcome back to another episode of What the History. This week, Sarah and I are bringing you some kind of dark, spooky, weird history shit. Uh, We are going to talk about Alcatraz, um, and we're going to look at it like what it was built for and what it became, uh, talk about some creepy weird shit that we found. I am at least once going to call it Azkaban. Oh my God. (laughs) Shut up. That's my first bullet point. My first bullet point says, okay, so let's listen to an entire episode of me trying to remember that it's not Azkaban, it's Alcatraz. Yeah, I'm going to say Azkaban at least at least once on accident. I had like three people ask me like, oh, what's this week's episode going to be on? And I'm like, Azkatraz. Azkatraz. <laughs> Azkatraz. Azkatraz. Yes. I mean, I get why. I mean, it's, it is Azkaban, right? Like, right. you can like, say that it a, is. It's like partially based on that. It has to be. Yeah. It's too Azkaban similar. Azkaban is based on Alcatraz, not the other right. way around. Not the other Even way around. Oh, Azkaban's probably older. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It has to be. It's probably ancient. But yeah, so welcome to this where we just talk about Harry Potter like it's real <laughs> because it is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually was just having a conversation with my friend Ashley a couple days ago, and I was like, "Dude, if magic's real, and I don't find this out till I'm dead, I'm gonna be fucking pissed. Like, I'm gonna be so mad if I find out that like this Same. whole time there's another like universe that exists that's like all magic. So mm-hmm. just putting it out there." For the record, okay, so, Azkaban was oh. built in the 15th century and has been used as a jail <laughs> since 1718. <laughs> There's a little episode in an episode. Wow. Where'd you find that? Like Harry, Harry Potter Potter.fandom.com slash wiki. <laughs> Potterpedia? <laughs> Basically. I love that so much. Okay. So for those of you who have no idea what the hell we're talking about, uh, where the fuck have you been ever? I'm just yeah. kidding. Thanks for listening. Hi. So um, <laughs> Alcatraz Island is located in San Francisco Bay. It's about 1.25 miles offshore from San Francisco. And from 1934 to March of 1963, the island was actually developed uh, to have a lighthouse, a military fortification, a military prison, and then it was also a federal prison. Um, and it was used that way because the strong currents around the island and the cold water temperatures make it really impossible to escape basically yep um today it's a major tourist attraction and i think sarah you said you've been there right i've been there probably at least like four or five times oh damn Um, that's so cool because when i was growing up so my aunt lives in san francisco and from the time i was six till i was like 18 every summer we went out to visit her yeah and so we would do like a week of tourist stuff and so that's cool alcatraz we definitely when we were a little older we did a couple of times like the the guided tours and stuff yeah, it's definitely like on my list. I've actually mm-hmm. never been to the West Coast, so I'm trying to get on that once COVID ends yeah. and the world. I love is... San Francisco, and we did like every tourist thing you can do. I've I've seen like as I was doing the research for this, I'm like shit. There's so many cool things. Mm-hmm. So I got to get my ass over there once life is somewhat less of a disaster. Whatever it is. Um. So today it's a major tourist attraction. Like I said, it's definitely on my bucket list, uh, especially to see with my haunted husband who always yeah. sees ghosts and shit. So, Ooh. like, yeah, he, like, won't go to the Eastern State Penitentiary with me uh, because he just is, like, he just gets too affected by stuff. So, like, I'm so jealous, but I'm also not. I'm horrified. Yeah, see, I'm good. Like, because I've done Alcatraz <laughs> and I'm just like, this is fun. Or I went to the jail um, 
on Robben Island in South Africa where Nelson oh, Mandela yeah. was. And I'm just like, wow. this is interesting. La, la, la. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the island itself actually only measures 1,675 feet by 590 feet. And it's 135 feet at the highest point during the mean tide. So basically the area is only about 22 acres big. And mm-hmm. I thought it was way bigger than that. No, like, that's it's not. tiny. Yeah. Does it feel tiny when you're there? I mean, not really while you're on it, right? Because you're surrounded by stuff, but right. you're also there in a pretty small group, right? Like, it's empty except for your little boat of people. Okay. And so I feel like if there was more people there, it would feel really crowded. Okay. Um, It's just that it's, like, feels abandoned otherwise. So it yeah. doesn't feel, like, cramped. Oh, that's so spooky. I love it. Uh, okay, so here's some mildly, I'm not going to lie, it's a little boring. I'm trying to jazz it up. There's some pretty fun names, um, okay, and I okay. get to speak different languages, so okay, that's cool. Um, so the first documentation by a European of this island was in 1775, when the Spanish naval officer and explorer named Juan Manuel de Ayala stumbled upon it <laughs> when the Spanish ruled California, which I think a lot of people forget. Yeah. Um, so De Ayala actually named what is today's Yerba Buena Island as La Isla de las Alcatraces, which translates to the Island of the Gannets. Gannets are also birds. They're not the same as pelicans. This matters. Okay. <laughs> and because I'm going to explain it literally like right now. So okay. it's commonly believed to translate as the Island of the Pelicans, but the Spanish word for pelicans is pelicanos. So it's not actually Alcatraces. Okay. But in archaic Spanish... Alcatraz did mean pelican. So like old, old Spanish. Um, okay, so basically so at the time it could have derived yes, from that. Exactly. And so and Yerba someone, Buena, that's too confusing. What if it was just pelicans with an O in it? Oh, uh, yeah, no. So <laughs> okay. uh, and it also like wouldn't be that scary. Be like, oh, you went to Ooh, Pelicans Island? The island like, of the Pelicans. Oh my god, no. Although <laughs> Pelicans are pretty badass, so I mean, yeah. To be fair. Um, so Yerba Buena Island's name appeared on Ayala's 1775 chart of San Francisco Bay as Isla de Alcatraces, but then the name was actually transferred to the island now known as Alcatraz Island, uh, okay. by an English naval officer and explorer. So we no longer say it's the island of pelicans. It's just Alcatraz Island. And then my automatic go-to as I was going through all of this stuff is this. So there you go from the Windex <laughs> father from my big fat Greek wedding. Yes. Like all of this like kimono is like that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> um, so then the island was kind of basically renamed Alcatraz Island uh, by Captain Beachy, who was an English naval officer and explorer. And the Spanish continued to build several small buildings on the island and other minor structures just to basically like claim it as theirs. So then in August of 1827, the French Captain Auguste Bernard de Hoisilly wrote, quote, running past Alcatraz's Pelicans Island, okay, covered with a countless number of these birds, a gun fired over the feathered legions, causing them to fly up in a great cloud and with a noise like a hurricane, quote. So basically he thinks people think that he was referring to what was the California brown pelican that Mm. lived on the island, um, but the bird no longer nests there. And so that's like the most amount of times I think I've ever said the word pelican. Yeah, the most we've talked about pelicans. Ever. I just keep thinking of the pelican from Finding Nemo. That's fair. He's so cute. He is. And he like, the water fills his bill. Like, that's cool as shit. Oh, shit. Okay. So anyway, 
I digress. Alcatraz at one point was actually privately owned before it became a fort, prison, etc. So the earliest recorded like knowledge of an owner was a man named Julian Workman who was given the island by the Mexican governor Pio Pico, which is literally my favorite <laughs> name of all time ever. That's great. I also just love that the governor like, "Hey, you want this island? Here you go." Right. And he's like, "Oh, yeah, that'd be yeah, great. You Thank you." It. Yeah, here. You want it? Go take yeah, it. Um, and so Pico gave it to him with the understanding that Workman would build a lighthouse on it. So he was kind of like, you know, we need a lighthouse on this place. Uh, you should right. take if you this build island. One, like, you can have the island. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So later I'll on. build it, a lighthouse. Give me an island. I know. Although I feel like there's something really spooky about lighthouses, even in like the best days. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? It's so true. solitary. I think that's what kind of like. Yeah weirds me out about it but like in a good way like right. sometimes and, like, the only way up and down is usually like a spiral staircase right and like sometimes mm-hmm. i think i do want to live in a lighthouse just to be left the fuck alone from people Fair. so which is only getting worse with the pandemic yeah <laughs> so later in 1846 the island was bought for five thousand dollars by the military governor of california named john c fremont uh, a man who was described as being quote champion of manifest destiny and leader of the bear flag republic quote Mm, cool yeah uh so he purchases the island in the name of the united states government (laughs) it's like this like little blurb story i just really loved so (laughs) he buys the island for the united states because he's like this is that's nice of him out into san francisco bay it's stretching further you know manifest destiny marco whatever bullshit right we will get to some of that Yeah. So four years later in 1850, President Millard Fillmore orders that Alcatraz Island is set aside to be used as a military reservation just for military purposes. And it was mostly because the U.S. had just acquired California from Mexico after the Mexican-American War. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) Fremont sells it to the government, right? Like gives it to the government. And he basically expects to receive some type of like large compensation for this initiative that he takes in purchasing it. And the okay. U.S. government just fucking ignores him. He's like, they're like, yeah, but thanks to the islands. Like, yeah, that's not how selling something works. Like, if you want money for it, you got to put that on paper and be like, yeah. I will give you this island for X amount of dollars. Correct. So he just thought that he was, like, doing them, like, a massive solid, right? <laughs> like, and that they were just going to, like, give him money. Right. And so nice. Fremont and his heirs continued to sue the, co- like, sue the government until, like, the 1890s, like, 40 years later, oh and they're God. all unsuccessful. And I just found it so hilarious that this fucking jabroni, who's all about manifest destiny, and he's like, oh, the American <laughs> government's going to give me some sick money for this island that I just fucking got, but gets you nothing. You got to respect the hustle a little. I guess. He yeah. tried. I don't know, though. If you're the, like, what is he I called? Mean, no. Champion of manifest yeah, destiny. No. I, like, I already fucking hate you. <laughs> no, I do not respect him. But, like, try and get your coin, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I'm just um, picturing him, like, in the movies in the court with his fake whiplash neck brace on. Like, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's exactly That's it. Yeah. Basically what he is. But for, for 40 island. years, he's wearing the fucking right, whiplash. Him and his heirs. So he has, like, his kids <laughs> out there. All wearing the same neck. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, again, we're still talking about military stuff, which isn't boring, but it kind of is. So yeah, for sure. Um, Alcatraz Island undergoes a fortification process in 1853 under the direction of a man named Zealous B. Tower. And I had to just put his name in because what a cool Zealous fucking name. Zealous Tower. 
zealous B tower. It's not even just tower. True. He's got a B thrown in there. So but zealous like, tower sounds like a fit, you know? Like, man, yeah. that's a real zealous tower you got. Yes. There. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I know. I thought so too. That's like one of the only names that I included other than Manifest Destiny Douche. Yeah. So, um, this took about five years for them to continue to fortify the island. And so in 1858, the initial version of Fort Alcatraz was completed. The first garrison of about 200 soldiers arrives um, at the end of that year. And this is going to come at the time um, towards the end of the Mexican-American War. We've got the California gold rush going on. So the U.S. is like really looking to see if Alcatraz is a suitable place to establish like a coastal battery in order to prevent or hopefully prevent any type of like invasion from the outside that's just also funny because it's a very small island in the middle of the water and i'm like you could just go around it (laughs) like i don't know well that's yeah that's kind of like i don't know i looked at it and i was kind of like okay this looks really small and it doesn't look that like powerful but that's kind of actually the next part oh, that I got okay. into. Because right is now like, I'm picturing just like putting a traffic cone in the middle of the highway and being like it's closed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's basically what it was. <laughs> um, but during the Civil War, so from 1861 to 65, the fort actually mounts 85 cannons and then increases to 105 cannons by 1866 in these different casemates around the perimeter. But there's two funny things about this. One, that's a lot of of fucking cannons for a small island right so like you're kind of already overpowering it and second you it's not just one person to man a cannon you need at least two or three okay especially at this time there's only 200 fucking soldiers there so they actually don't even have (laughs) enough people to man the cannons so they can't use all of the cannons at once they have to like run around like strategically But they never actually fired. Like, cannon fire was never, never came from the island. Okay, so they were just there for, like, funsies. Yeah, basically. Do you think that guy was mad? Like, so you bought all these cannons, but you still can't pay me? A hundred percent. Yeah, like, oh, so you can... You You can can afford 105 cannons, but you can't throw me some some cash. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even think of that guy. He was probably so pissed. Yeah. Serves you right for being a manifest destiny, jabroni. Yep. So uh, this is when Alcatraz serves as the San Francisco arsenal for storage of firearms to prevent them from falling into the hands of Confederate sympathizers. Okay. And during the war, Fort Alcatraz is also used to imprison Confederate sympathizers and privateers on the West Coast. So this is already the first we have like f- the first recorded from the 1860 1860- like mid 1860s of people being imprisoned there. Yeah. Obviously not going to be in the same capacity as it's going to be a hundred years later, but I thought that was still pretty cool. So that's actually kind of my next point is that I didn't know that Alcatraz was a military prison before it was a federal prison. Yeah. I probably, I'm sure learned that at some point on a tour, but I did not remember (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah. So basically um, it was there for two different types of prisoners, um, the first being military prisoners. So basically in 1859 actually was the earliest date that they had somebody in prison there. But again, it's because of its isolation, brutal temperatures in the ocean or the bay rather, um, that just makes it like the perfect place to yeah. keep soldiers. So in 1861, the fort was the military prison for the Department of the Pacific and it housed Civil War prisoners, uh, prisoners of war basically as early as that year. And then starting in 1863, the military also started to hold private citizens accused of treason, a.k.a. like um, sympathizers, stuff like that, right. because that was obviously technically an act of treason because they were 
part of the Union. Uh, so by the time the Civil War was over, Alcatraz's defenses were literally pointless and obsolete. That's literally what it said. It was like, okay. by the time the Civil War ended, there was so much technological advancement during the Civil War. Yeah. That, like, it was like it was pointless. They basic. were like, hey, this is not going to do anything functional. Yeah. yeah. So they were like, okay, so we can do two things. Their first plan was actually to level the entire island and just like start over. Okay. But in but which seems like excessive. And they actually had plans to do this into the 1870s, but nothing ever happened with it. But instead, the army decided to keep the structures that were in place and switch the focus of the island to be less about protection and defensive fortification and more about like detaining people, right. which is because of its isolation. Right. You can't uh, so get in, off it. Exactly. Or so it's like the perfect you, place. We'll discuss it mm, later. Yeah, I did see a couple of those things. I saw you. <laughs> I figured you were going to talk about that, so I was like, I'm a, yeah. I'm a hold back. Um. So in 1867, a brick jailhouse was built, and in uh, 1868, Alcatraz was officially designated as a long-term detention facility for military prisoners. The facility was later discontinued for prisoners of war in 1946, and among those incarcerated at Alcatraz were Confederates caught on the West Coast, um, and then there were actually some Native okay. American men <laughs> that were captured and kept there in the 1870s, which I know we'll kind of come back to uh, Native American control with your segment. Um, let's see. This is kind of boring. Okay, so in 1898, the Spanish-American War increased the prison population from 26 to over 450, which is like a very big jump. Yeah. And then once the 1906 San Francisco earthquake hit, civilian prisoners were transferred to Alcatraz because it was safer there. Okay. So I guess the earthquake doesn't affect the island. Yeah, or like yeah, I guess that makes which, sense. I guess that does make sense, right? right? And it's like, not rooted in the, the ground. Well, yeah, that or like, I guess it's, uh, I guess it's like, you know how if you have like an earthquake in the middle of the ocean, it starts a tsunami. Yeah. I guess there's like no major fault lines over or under right. Alcatraz. It might just be like located in a safe place. In a place. safer place. Yeah. Uh, so the following year, Alcatraz was officially designated as the Western U.S. Military Prison on March 21st. And then in 1909, they started to begin construction on a huge concrete main cell block, which still remains the island's dominant feature that was completed in 1912. But in order to accommodate the new cell block, the three-story barracks that were known as the Citadel had to be demolished down to the first floor, which was actually below ground level, which I thought was interesting. The first floor then incorporated... Um, basically a basement for the new cell block and then it gave rise to this popular legend of dungeons being below the main cell block which we will talk about when i talk about the, yes. the federal prison part of it um last military prison thing during world war one the prison held conscientious objectors including a man named philip grosser who was apparently like kind of a terrorist who was against world war one okay um and he wrote a pamphlet named Uncle Sam's Devil's Island about his experiences being held there. So already Alcatraz is getting this like notorious, yeah. awful um, reputation for being just a terrible fucking experience. Yeah, that's like the whole island thing I get. And that's fine. It's just the prison itself seems like a bad prison. <laughs> yeah, it's well, actually, it doesn't. It didn't. It didn't. So my sort of like I thought I knew this, but I guess I didn't is that it was really, really horrible with everything. But in actuality, there are some things that I'll talk about that okay. make it not... Some people actually wanted to transfer there 
Okay. And I'll explain why. So it's it's interesting. I mean, I guess also like no one is like it was a very nice prison that I was in for 20 right. years. It was well, a, yeah. I was treated great and it was a wonderful I mean, also prisons are bad and like abolish prisons and stuff. Unless but- it's Oh my god, I was just talking to one of the students that I tutor and she was telling me about like the Swedish prisons, prisons, I think. Oh yeah, they're like they're like dorms. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like it almost looks nice. Yeah, like, no I wouldn't one mind in American going there. prison. I, oh, I no. Mean. Yes. Fair. Fair. Uh, which I will go into a small soapbox rant about that as Perfect. well. Uh, <laughs> so on October 12th, 1933, the United States disciplinary barracks on Alcatraz were acquired by the United States Department of Justice and the island officially became a federal prison in August of the following year, 1934. It was designed to hold prisoners who continuously caused trouble at other federal prisons. So basically, this was like a last stop for people who were pain in the ass every other fucking place right. that they it's were like held. Reform prison. Correct. Yeah. But also, that sounds like the last but, thing I want to do is put all those people in the same place. That's exactly it. Like you're basically talking about. I think I I say it later, but it's basically like the most dangerous criminals yeah. between. Uh, bank robbers, murderers, and I guess mob bosses, which yeah. fall under both of those categories. All, right, all of the above. But yeah, yeah, so it's like, okay, so let's take everyone horrible and put them all in the same place and see what happens. Right, right. It's like okay. it's like a detention room at school. It's like, yeah. okay, this kid wanted to start a fire. This kid was, you know, hitting another kid. Let's put them all in yeah. the same room and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So at 9.40 a.m., On August 11th, 1934, the first batch of 137 prisoners arrived at Alcatraz. Uh, They arrived by railroad from the United States Penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas, to Santa Venetia, California, and they were then escorted to Alcatraz on a boat, handcuffed in high-security coaches, and guarded by 60 special FBI agents, U.S. Marshals, (laughs) Dementors, and railway security officials. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they basically had, um, I mean... Every every two prisoners per agent, which is like, I mean, that's pretty hardcore. I feel like in, in 1934, you're dealing with a different level of true. I don't want to say criminal, but like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like I one person want to be in charge of two mob bosses. Oh yeah, no. Like I feel like <laughs> I feel like it should maybe be two agents per criminal. Although, like, have you ever seen a mob boss? They're like usually meatballs. Like, true, you know? but I don't know. I feel like that ratio could be improved. Yeah, no, that's fair. And like, I, like Al Capone could totally snap my neck. Like, but I would. Then I also guess like, where are they going to go? They're on the island, and the premise right. is they can't like leave the island. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess- exactly. What, I mean, and you like have you're to chase armed them and in a circle. Yeah. I guess. Right. Right. Exactly. So basically, the prison had initially a staff of like 155. I think it actually ends up being almost 300 to 400 people at its very height. Damn. Um, but they were highly trained in security, not rehabilitation, which is my little soapbox reminder mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is literally the definition of America's prison systems. It's not at all about rehabilitation. It is completely about punishment and for-profit yeah. enterprises. Was it all people, because it was like the worst of the worst, whatever, was it all people who um had life sentences? Uh, no, actually. Okay. So some of them were in, I'm trying to think, like there's one guy who spent... 10 or 11 years of his 20 year murder sentence at mm. a prison in Atlanta. 
And then he was transferred to Alcatraz for whatever reason. And he was like, yeah, so. I know sometimes, like, obviously I agree on the rehabilitation versus punishment thing. Right, right. But I know sometimes with, like, life sentences, it's a little different because, like, you don't have to reintegrate into society. Mm -hmm. So obviously you should, like, be treated like a human. But. Right. But if they have people there who are going to leave then you should probably get that together. Well, what's interesting is like, I think a lot of the people who were in these federal prisons from throughout Mm -hmm. the country, like the people who were the worst of the worst, like I'm trying to think like, I don't think Al Capone was arrested for anything other than like tax evasion. Like he was like 1000% a murderer. Right. But like the only thing they got him on was like, money and that's not a tax type mm -hmm, stuff and that's not a that's not a lifetime sentence i think actually al capone i think he actually was he in eastern state penitentiary eastern state i don't know he was in alcatraz at some point i know he was in alcatraz and he was in eastern state penitentiary and i'm pretty sure that's where he died so he was in two major penitentiaries oh my god um eastern state penitentiary is one of my favorite places i've ever been it's just so eerie and yeah super haunted and they actually used to do it they probably still do it i don't know with covid now but they do like a haunted prison thing so like Mm -hmm. oh shit it's terrifying it's so so good like it sounds cool but also scary it's a lot i have this thing where i've convinced myself i don't believe in ghosts but i super would be terrified by that i've just like built a mental block where i've convinced myself i don't believe in them for my own Mm -hmm. sanity but i'd show up there and not be not be okay yeah i think i mean i mostly know everything i know about alcatraz or eastern state penitentiary because eric and i watched ghost adventures and i think that was when i knew i was going to marry him when we like watched it together on like our third date yeah (laughs) i was like wow he actually likes this stuff that's great yeah um so during the 29 years that it was in prison in prison in use as a prison mm-hmm. the jail held some of the most notorious criminals here's a rundown mm-hmm. of all of the names that I found some uh people Al Capone, Robert Franklin Stroud, Birdman, Machine Gun Kelly, like you said, Bumpy Johnson. What a fucking name. These names are tight. Uh Rafael Cancel Miranda no, who was cancel. a member It is cancel? cancel culture. Oh my god, stop. I thought you were serious for a second. No. I just looked. I looked at your notes and saw the word cancel and cancel. I liked it. I think. All right. So Rafael Cancel Miranda, who is a member of the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party who attacked the U.S. Capitol. Oh, okay. damn. Uh, Mickey Cohen, Arthur R. Doc Barker and Alvin Creepy Carpus, who served more time in Alcatraz than any other inmate. That's such a lame like name. Dude, yeah. I don't know, though. I feel like in the 50s and 60s, like being creepy was like like really bad do you know what i mean like today we're like oh my god that's so creepy but i feel like if someone's calling you a creep in the 50s true that's some shit you know true it just feels Um, quaint now like that's like the worst criminal his name's creepy right (laughs) although he was fucking weird looking like his picture came up and i was like yikes i do not like this oh no did you see him yeah do you see what i mean he just has that like face yeah um, something also interesting, and you probably know this because you've been there, but this was also um they provided housing for the Bureau of Prison staff and their families. Okay, so, that does like, sound familiar. Living there, yeah. So um I'm gonna I'll talk about that super quick. I'll like just kind of scroll to that other section because I thought this was so interesting. So there were um people 
who had their children, like their whole family lived on the island. So, so they like grew up on Alcatraz. Yes. So That's a lot crazy. of the Alcatraz guards chose to live on the island itself because the rent was cheap. The commute was short. They were allowed to bring their families, which meant children lived in these like close proximities to some of the worst criminals in the country. Yeah. So over 100 kids grew up on Alcatraz and some were even born there, which is fucking mind blowing. That's so like. That's kind of a cool, like, I'm I know. Thinking, you know, stupid work stuff where they're like, tell us one fun oh fact about yourself. Yes, that's exactly what I was just thinking. I'd be well, like, what a well, cool, I was like, born on two, Alcatraz Island. Like, two truths and a lie. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they actually are reported to having had really happy childhoods. They played baseball, they flew kites, roller skating, okay. they had soapbox derbies. There was a game room with pool tables and a I jukebox. Guess it was probably like a cute little small town, right? Like a little insulated. Yeah. And that's kind of the vibe that I got too so the only difference is that like you basically <laughs> you could hear an alarm sound at any time of day and if you're like playing on the playground like you had to run straight home because like someone's trying to escape federal prison um I mean, they also I, couldn't own i grew up not on alcatraz island and sometimes there was an alarm and you had to lock the door in case someone <laughs> shot you so yes yeah ex- very fair very fair <laughs> that's well it's funny you say not that it's funny you say shot you <laughs> But um, the kids were not actually allowed to own toy guns on the island. Like, they yeah. literally weren't – they were not allowed to play cops and robbers. They that sounds nice. I'm fine with this. Yeah. Well, the parents were kind of like, this is silly. We're going to sneak in fake guns for you to play with, and they'd have to, like, secretly play at home. But, like, like – of all the contraband you need, it's like, right. I have to have a, a fake gun. Fake gun. Is this Especially because really everything had to be, like, shipped into the island. Mm-hmm. Like, a thing I read that you don't even think about is water had to be imported to the island. Yes. Actually, I'll talk about that when I talk about toilets because it was literally salt water. On an island, but it's water water you can drink. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they have, like, gallons and gallons of water on a boat going on the water to the island. (laughs) Yeah. It's absurd. But um, it's cool because the kids even interacted with the inmates in some cases, which like, yeah. seems kind of I crazy. I would watch that TV show, though. Me too. Like, I feel like they should make this a TV yeah. show. I'd love this. I feel this. like that should, like, it should be about, like, the kids who grew up there, right? Not, like, Right. The yeah, criminals. no, not the prisoners, but, like, the, the people growing up there. Yeah. Because a lot of the prisoners were employed as, like, maintenance workers. So, like, right. so the kids would, like, doing something. <laughs> yeah. The kids would, like, wave at them be like, oh, hey, Bill. Yeah. Hey, Birdman. <laughs> As you're cleaning up garbage or fixing plumbing in the homes. Yeah. Like, like one man who grew up there was reported saying that his father made it a point for him to meet and talk to the convicts. Like, to right. treat like, them like people, but to also know that, like, if you, you don't. Yes. Like, if you don't do shit the right way, this well, is where you can and end also, up. also, like, obviously this is not always true. And these people were primarily bad people. Right. But certain things, like, a mob boss wasn't hurting kids for no reason. Correct. Right, like a mob boss's mm-hmm. thing is not like, ooh, look at that little kid. I'm gonna like kill him or assault him or something. Like, right? It's like targeted evil. About, like the worst <laughs> criminals in prison, but then you show up and you like killed a kid and they hate you. Right. Right. Exactly. So I feel like I could see it being like, okay, I'll be nice to this kid. Like this right. kid didn't do anything in my mob that I'm mm-hmm. mad about. Right. So they're they're like, not like another mafia right, rivalry. So it's like, hey, bud, you want to help me pick up trash? Like. <laughs> Right, exactly. And I think that that's like, I think that's such a cool, I don't know. I think that's a cool experience. Yeah, I think I'm gonna this need should this, like, suburb, be a TV show. The Suburbs of Alcatraz TV show. Oh my God. That should be the title of it. Yeah. Oh, shit. All right. I will contact somebody. I don't okay. know who, but I'll Me figure it either, out. But we'll figure it out. Yeah. My uncle works for ABC, so maybe I'll call him. Perfect. Like, Yo. um, okay. So 
Let's see. The penitentiary claimed that no prisoner successfully escaped throughout its 29 years of use as well. A total of 36 prisoners had made 14 escape attempts, two men trying twice, 23 were caught alive, six were shot and killed during their escape, two drowned, and five are listed as, quote, missing and presumed drowned, which I know you'll probably talk about, so I'm not going to talk about anymore. Um, There's also something called the Battle of Alcatraz, which was the most violent escape attempt that occurred on May 2nd, 1946, when a failed escape attempt, like I said, by six prisoners led to the Battle of Alcatraz. Mm -hmm. So I guess it was just like... A storming. I probably should have looked that up more, but there was so much other cool shit that I wanted yeah. to get to. Uh, contrary to popular belief, it was possible to escape and swim all of the way to shore. It was just really fucking difficult. Right. Mostly because of the temperatures and stuff. And to this day, people can compete in the Escape from Alcatraz triathlon and swim the 1.5 miles to shore, which sounds like some really serious white people <laughs> shit. That's accurate. It's such a white person thing. Yeah, like, You're like, oh, I'm escaping, escaping from Alcatraz. <laughs> what yeah. privilege I have. So oh, whatever. I okay. mean, I guess it is those people. I can't remember what it's called, like the polar bear swims or whatever. Oh, the polar bear plunge. Polar bear plunge. Mm-hmm, that's it. Mm-hmm. Is that like people do go in the real cold water and like fuck around? But that's like okay. I'm gonna go into the water and just like fuck around for five minutes. Yeah, not true. like I'm gonna pretend to escape from. I mean, which you, the polar bear prison. plunge is also some white people shit. To it be is. fair, oh, it is. I so. say it's a lower scale of white people yes. shit. Than this is. Yes. <laughs> Um, okay, so now I kind of just wanted to spend the rest of the segment getting into, like, what was life like in the prison? Because this yeah. is the shit that always fascinates me. Mm-hmm. So according to an inmate register, there were about 1,576 prisoners in total held at Alcatraz during its time as a federal penitentiary. Some numbers have varied down to, like, 1,557, but really at no point was it above 2,000. Okay. Is so, that... At one, that's not at one time. No, that's it's like total. Total. Okay. Total. Because mm-hmm. it was only open it, for like, and it was twenty nine years, <laughs> and it wasn't that big, right? So at no point did it go over even sixteen hundred with the amount of people in there. Okay. Because don't remember to remember to have all of those people that live on the island as right. well. So you have to kind of allocate those re- resources also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the prison cells themselves were purposely designed so that no cells adjoined an outside wall. So you couldn't just, mm-hmm. like, have somebody blast through or some sh- Pirates of the Caribbean shit. I don't know. <laughs> Typically, they measured out to be nine feet by five feet and were seven feet high. So they were fucking tiny. Yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, so the cells were primitively furnished with a bed, a blanket, and a desk with a wash basin and a toilet placed on the back wall. And like I said, there were very few furnishings, minor- minus the bled- uh, bled- bed and blanket. Um, each cell also had an air vent that measured about six by nine inches that was covered by a metal grill and it lays at the back of the cells, which would lead to the utility corridors, allowing the prisoners some sort of fresh air. Now, there was only one person living in these cells at a time. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like doubling up, which I guess is a small saving grace. Yeah. Yeah. There was no privacy in using the toilet. Not a shock which also emitted a really terrible stench because it was flushed with seawater, like salt water. So there was no, like, fresh water that was being brought over to the island used for that. There also was no real hot water. So hot water faucets were eventually installed into the, like, early 1960s, but then the prison ends up closing a few years after that, so it's kind of pointless. There was a really strict regime of, or regimen, Regimen. I think regiment in this regimen, case. Regimen. It's not I regime. They, Fuck they me. mean different things. 
son of a bitch, man. Why do these words? <laughs> like, I had a nightmare about idol tree the other day. Like, yes. <laughs> nightmare about oh my god i still can't say that stupid fucking word Uh, that's okay Um, i um was talking the other day so i went to the college like outside of boston and it was about three years into college before i could properly say massachusetts massachusetts yeah you said massachusetts i still can't properly say it see but that's better (laughs) than what happened before it would just at some point jumble like massachusetts like so some words just don't work for you that I it's, that's gotta be what it is. Yeah, I just, there's, there's just some words that are. Never there's no work. rhyme or reason either. Like no. I'm a reader, I'm a writer. I talk constantly, and right. for some reason, I just can't say it. Yeah, the worst word I've ever had to say as a teacher in front of kids was sex. <laughs> sex. Sexts. Oh, but like, like multiple. Like yes, sects. like religious sects. But multiple. But I was like sects. so religious sects. And the kids are like, is she having some type of a fit? And that's like, no, I just don't want to say sex because it's actually sex. But I don't need to deal with that. That's fair. Anyway, so the prison had a very strict regime of rules and regulations that were literally titled. (laughs) Uh Oh, my God. I just said it again. (laughs) Fuck. Regimen. Had a very strict (laughs) regimen. I'm dead. I'm just going to keep talking. Called the Rules and Regulations for the Government and Discipline of the United States Penal and Correctional Institutions. <laughs> like, okay. literally, that was the title of it. There was also a, quote, daily routine of work and counts document that was expected to be followed by both the prisoners and the guards. And each document was copied and given to the prisoners to read and to follow. Like, so it was kind of a regime. <laughs> It was kind of, yeah, it was. But like, I'm also just imagining these like hard ass criminals with this fucking pamphlet that's like, oh, uh, I have to be ready to uh, go for my daily count at 6:30 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Um, so inmates were basically entitled to food, clothing, shelter, and medical attention, and anything else was seen as a privilege. That's inmates- not more than non-inmates are entitled to, but that's yeah. a different story, fucking I guess. Seriously. That's more uh, than I'm actually entitled to it. Yeah. Moment. Oh my god, I can't. Um, they were given a blue shirt, gray pants, and then it changed to blue and white in later years. Cotton long underwear, socks, and a blue handkerchief, and you were forbidden to wear hats in the cell house. Prisoners were also required to shave in their cells three times a week. Okay. There was something really keen about cleanliness in this in yeah. my research. Like I thought that was so interesting. Like this next yeah. part says cells were expected to be kept clean. Any dangerous articles found in the cells or on inmates like money, narcotics, intoxicating substances, tools, which could potentially kill somebody or assist in an escape attempt were considered contraband. Not a shock. Um, And it made the prisoners eligible for disciplinary action. And any prisoners who were attempting to bribe, intimidate or assault officers were punished severely, which I'll explain later. Uh, There was segregation in the uh, prison. The reason why they're saying this is because of. The racial abuse that was prevalent amongst the inmates themselves. So it was in theory for protection. In theory. That's right. like what they say. But like, right. we, and and I don't necessarily think that's wrong. I just think that it's bullshit to say that's the only reason. Right. Well, it's probably but, like it did protect them, but you should probably worry about the like racist people. Right. Instead. Yes. And like also if you're segregating an entire population away from the rest of Gen Pop, like there's probably going to be abuse happening in that sense too by the guards right so yeah for sure yeah 
Um, toilet paper matches, soap, and cleanser were issued to the cells on Tuesdays and Saturdays, and inmates could request hot water and a mop to clean their cells, not themselves, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, the bars, windows, and floors of the prison were cleaned on a daily basis, and in earlier years, there was actually um, a strict code of silence, but in the 1950s, they had relaxed this. So there's this really big sense of, like I said, cleanliness. Um there were expectations like they had to get their hair cut once a month. And like there was just like – I feel like it – You couldn't let them become – I want to say subhuman and I don't mean it like that. But that's kind of the vibe that I got. Yeah, It also feels very like derived from the military, right? Like it used to be yes. a military prison and mm-hmm. that's very like you make your bed, you cut your hair, you're clean shaven. Like yeah. you have these reports every day. It feels very military. And so I wonder if like – some of it came from it being a military prison and them carrying over routines. That's a good point, actually. And I think the fact that you're dealing with, like, the creme de la creme of criminals. Yeah. <laughs> like, the makes crime it de la so... Crime. The crime mm-hmm. de la crime. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I wish I had, like, thought of that pun as I was saying it. I was like, there's definitely a crime pun here. Yeah, the crime de la um, crime. Yeah, so as you're dealing with all of these people, I mean, these men, there were no women in Alcatraz that I could see. Um, yeah. I mean, it was pretty much – I mean, you had to basically be as strict as possible. So like I was saying, mm-hmm. like there was a code of silence. But in the 1950s, they had started to relax this and you were allowed to talk in the cell house and the dining hall as long as you were quiet and there wasn't shouting, loud talking, whistling or singing. But like when you were like walking, when you were doing other stuff, like you were not permitted to talk. And so that's actually kind of – what I saw a lot of the research was saying, especially when it comes to the wardens who ran the prison – they kind of were like, we need to figure out the best way to keep these folks in line because we need them to be mildly happy. And not happy, but like, I guess, like functional. Because yeah. they were like, we're dealing with a very small space and there's a lot of them. And also, like, we need to make sure people aren't going to just riot. So they had to kind of like lessen the regulations over time. Mm-hmm. So basic day in the life, prisoners are woken up at 6.30 in the morning, sent to breakfast at 6.55. After they returned to their cell, they had to tidy the cell up and then place the wastebasket outside to be picked up. Again, seems so fucking clean. It's your, right. It's very military now that I'm thinking of this. Yeah. Um, at 7.30, work starts in the shifts for those that were privileged enough to have a job. Um, all of the shifts were like punctuated by some type of whistle or alarm and the prisoners would basically have to go through a metal detector during work shifts to make sure that they didn't take anything from their job that they were in mm-hmm. um they weren't allowed to have any money in their possession but they actually could earn money into a prisoner's trust fund so basically okay. i didn't see anything in terms of like a commissary but like i guess yeah. it was like you get this money once you're out right okay. um some of them were assigned duties with the guards and foremen uh and some of them actually went to like maintaining the space so there was a laundry a tailor shop a cobbler shop model shop um, and in gardening and labor, you could smoke, which I thought was interesting, um, as long as you weren't, like, making a dangerous, I don't know, situation from smoking, yeah. like, start, starting a fire. But I guess, um, like, if you start a fire, you're going to die in that fire, too. Right, right, yeah. Uh, lunch was served at 11.20 a.m., followed by a 30-minute rest in the cell before you return to work until 16.15, which your girl fucking doesn't remember. I think that's 4.15. 4.15? Yeah. 
Wait, so, so you right? got like four hours to just chill after lunch? No, no, no. So you went to you hung out for thirty minutes and then you went to work until, until four fifteen. Okay, mm-hmm. these um again are better hours than I have. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh for sure. <laughs> like, uh, I'm just saying. Dinner <laughs> dinner was served at four twenty five, and prisoners would then retire to their cells to be locked in for the night at four fifty. That I don't like. That's crazy fucking early. Um, And so after they were locked in for the night, there were six guards that were usually patrolling the four different cell blocks. A lot of prisoners basically compared their duration Alcatraz to hell and would have preferred death to continued incarceration, a lot of them said. I mean, I'm sure, again, it's it's much worse than what was being described to me in my research. But also, like, it doesn't sound that bad. Yeah, like, on paper, it doesn't sound... Right. There Terrible. was a library, which I which okay. I learned. So you actually were encouraged to take books out. And apparently there was something that said, like, the average prisoner read 75 to 100 books a year. Okay. Because every evening inmates would basically read books that they loaned from the library. Sometimes they like would. One of the only all things you could, you could do. do in your cell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they also were allowed to practice musical instruments. So, like, I think you could, like, borrow an instrument out. But that's actually one of the most famous Al Capone stories is that he practiced the banjo. Yes, um, I saw that. Which I thought was really cool. Um, So, yeah, Yeah. obviously, you have to, like, any books about sex, crime, and violence were censored. So, basically, nothing good was in there. Right. Um, But also makes sense, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And then failure to return the books by the date given made the inmate liable to be like removed from the privilege of getting a book so i'd be totally fucked because yeah how my body hasn't been set on fire when i've walked into any library because of how many late (laughs) fees i have is really a fucking incredible feat um (laughs) so fun fact the corridors and blocks were named after major american streets and landmarks so michigan avenue was the corridor to the side of a block Broadway was the central corridor because the inmates would assemble there and there was also a giant clock there um, I mean, it probably wasn't a giant clock. It just had a clock on the wall. But right. Um, Broadway prominent separated <laughs> prominent clock, a notable clock. Yeah, what was uh, it? I almost Famous said clock. Famous clock. <laughs> Famous like clock. Exactly. Uh, Broadway separated B block and C uh, block C or bo- block B and block C and prisoners okay. kept along. It had the least privacy in the prison because everybody used that block to get to and from uh, the library was next to Park Avenue. The quarter in D block was named Sunset Strip. Um, this feels like Monopoly. It's it's complex. I was looking at some maps too, and I was like, "This is very complicated." Yeah. Um. So A block was never modernized from the original military prison. It pretty much was just like a holding place where people were kept before a hearing or a transfer. Nobody actually lived in A block. Uh. And then later on, in later years 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 it was used for later years uh it was used for storage uh they set up a law library at some point where inmates could type legal documents for themselves and eventually they set up a small barber shop at the end of it where inmates would get a monthly haircut uh b block was basically like the quarantine status for their first three months in confinement at alcatraz which hit hard (laughs) hit really hard Mm -hmm. uh they weren't allowed any visitors for a minimum of 90 days um other than that, inmates were allowed a visitor a visitor once a month. Um, okay. But if you were likely to cause trouble or, like, have people, you know, on the outside who were registered criminals pretty much weren't allowed entry. Uh, entry. Yeah. Um, D block is the most notorious block. This is where I'll probably spend more time. So okay. 
it gains notoriety as a treatment block, quote unquote, for some of the worst inmates with different degrees of punishment, including isolation, solitary and strip. So this is some fucked up shit. Trigger warnings. Prisoners usually spent anywhere from three to 19 days in solitary confinement. When they were held here, they would be given their meals in their cells. They were not permitted to work and could only shower twice a week. After a 1939 escape attempt in which Arthur, quote, Doc Barker was killed, the Bureau of Prisons then tightened the security in the D block. And this is where the Birdman of Alcatraz kind of was kept for six years in solitary confinement in cell 42. That's crazy. Yeah. I fucking can't. The worst cells for confinement um, as punishment for inmates who stepped out of line were located at the end of the D block in cells 9 through 14, known as the hole. Inmates held in the hole were limited to just one 10-minute shower and an hour of exercise in the yard per week. The five cells of the hole had nothing but a sink and toilet. They were the absolute worst cell, um, like cells in the prison, the worst one being something nicknamed the Oriental, which is not my words. That's what it was called, Mm -hmm. or the strip cell, which was basically like nothing but a hole in the floor as a toilet. And prisoners would often be confined naked with nothing else. For two days like they were stripped naked thrown into this fucking hole no. and they were like that's it hate it um the guards controlled the flushing of the toilet in that cell and after completing the punishment in the hole a prisoner could then return to his cell but was tagged so a red tag basically denoted that a prisoner was restricted from leaving his cell for maybe three months and then a second grade tag like a yellow tag would basically be like okay you can receive letters and leave your cell for x amount of hours in a week and then after 30 days if you were like remained behaved and quote-unquote reformed you'd then be restored full prison privileges okay um so i'm gonna leave us on a really gruesome note about yeah. the whole i mean so okay. <laughs> So this is Henry Young, who was held in the hole, and this is what his test, like, he testified. This is what his experience was. Its size was approximately that of a regular cell, nine feet by five feet, by about seven feet high. I could just touch the ceiling by stretching out my arm. You are stripped nude and pushed into the cell. Guards take your clothes and go over them minutely for what few grains of tobacco may have fallen into the cuffs or pockets. There is no soap. No tobacco, no toothbrush. The smell, well, you can describe it only by the word stink. It is like stepping into a sewer. It is nauseating. After they have searched your clothing, they throw it at you. For bedding, you get two blankets around five in the evening. You have no shoes, no bed, no mattress, nothing but the four damp walls and two blankets. The walls are painted black. Once a day, I got three slices of bread. No, that is an error. Some days I got four slices. I got one meal in five days and nothing but bread in between. In the entire 13 days I was there, I got two meals. I have seen but one man get a bath in solitary confinement in all the time that I have been there. That man had a bucket of cold water thrown over him. Quote. Cool. And that is some Alcatraz shit. Okay. Yeah. So I will pick up there. So, in 1963, the penitentiary on Alcatraz closes down. Um, There's a couple of reasons cited for this. So, it comes right after the biggest escape in 1962, which I'll talk about in detail later. Um, So, there is kind of a a PR 
element to it. Mm-hmm. But really, the main thing is it was really expensive to maintain this prison. So because they had to import everything, they had to pay for people to live on the island. There was all these additional operating expenses. Right. Yeah. It, it worked out. So there's a, a prison in Atlanta that was considered similar in terms of the type of people who were there, the type of like life in the prison. It was comparable. At the Atlanta prison, it costs $3 per inmate per day to operate this prison. Alcatraz costs $10 per inmate per day. Okay, yeah, that's significant. So it was like a significant amount of money that they were spending. And so that's kind of seen as the main reason. The building was also starting to become eroded just by the salt water and the currents around it. Um, And so... I think they didn't want to spend the money to upkeep the prison, considering how expensive it already was. So the decision was made to close the penitentiary. Um, The last person to leave the jail was a gun thief who had been there named Frank Weatherman. Hmm. And on his way out, you know, he's being escorted out by guards and stuff. But there's reporters there kind of filming like the last person to leave. And he's stopped for comment and he says Alcatraz was never no good for nobody. And so that's kind of his like famous closing statement on it. It's never no good for nobody. Never. I don't want to unpack that, but. <laughs> I want that on my tombstone. Right? Never no good for nobody. <laughs> yeah. So that people can stand there and be like, what did she mean by that? <laughs> right. And so once it's closed down, um, George Moscone, who's the um, mayor of San Francisco, is kind of left with the question of what to do with this island that is now nothing. Right. Um, And so he's getting all these proposals coming in, right? Everyone wants to do everything with this island. But it kind of goes into limbo for a bit because it becomes the site of a bunch of political tensions. So in 1963, um, you know, there's a bunch of newspaper articles in the local papers saying that Alcatraz is closing. Mm-hmm. And there's a woman who is a social worker and she's a member of the Sioux named Belva Katir. Okay. Katier, I don't know how to say it, but um, she reads this article in the paper that the plan is for the island to be given back to San Francisco as public land. And this mayor will be able to make a decision on what to do with it. Right. And she's like, that sounds sketchy. And remembers there's a treaty from the 1800s um, called the Treaty of Fort Laramie. And so her and her cousin, Richard McKenzie, find the treaty and read through it and say, you know, based on this, the property is now considered surplus land of the government, which mm. under the rules of that treaty means the Sioux can claim it. Okay. So they start. Which, like, how fucked up is that? That it's right. become surplus land of the government. Oh, yeah. It, <sighs> Ridiculous. Yeah. So they kind of start a, a small local movement for the Sioux to be given this land. Um, there's an initial occupation in 1964 that is about 40 people, including both protesters and journalists. Um, they spend four hours on Alcatraz Island um, and get kind of driven off by authorities. But they continue a fight publicly because it gets them a little bit of attention. And so their public offer is that they will buy the land from the government. So they're not asking for it to be given to them. But they will buy it at the same rate the government had initially offered them, right? So the government was like, well, we'll buy it from the Sioux. That okay. rate was 47 cents per acre, which amount- amounted to um, $9.40. <laughs> oh, 
What? For the island. So wait, the government paid the Sioux. They offered to. They did not take they it. They offered to pay the Sioux nine dollars for that Correct. island. Correct. Jesus fucking crazy. And so Belva said, you know, under our proposal where we will buy this back, we're not gonna be unreasonable. We would allow the Coast Guard lighthouse to be maintained as a government property and mm-hmm. used by the Coast Guard because that's like a fair use. Right. Um but, you know, they're told no, they're driven off the island under threat of felony. And it kind of gets picked up in the media, but nothing happens for a while. So that's 1964, that initial occupation. Okay. For years, there's a bunch of discussions back and forth about drawing up proposals to purchase the land. Um, the main proposal is that it be used for a cultural center and kind of like history center. Um, for Native Americans. I will mm-hmm. say, I'm going to have to say the word like Indian instead of bunch because there's things called that and quotes at the time. That was the yeah. more common term. Right. Um, so I'll, I might go between them. It's not me. It's that some of this stuff is actually called the Indian blank at the time. Yeah. Um, but they basically want to use it for a cultural center and kind of like a hub. So in 1969, the actual San Francisco Indian Center is lost in a fire. And so this was something that existed on land, um, and it was a center that provided Native Americans with jobs, healthcare, legal aid, like social opportunities. It was a big help to a lot of the community, and a lot of work was done there. Mm-hmm. And so now that that's gone, it kind of re-ups this, this effort to get Alcatraz, right? There's already tension with the government. Now they have a something they want to build there even more specifically. And so they shifted from kind of trying to do formal applications and go through a a fair legal process to basically trying to take over the land they decided was their new MO. And a lot of it's led by a man who was named Adam Fortunate Eagle. He's kind of one of the- That's a cool fucking name. Right? He's initially one of the like leaders of this. So they start doing some demonstrations- Um, on the island all of them are basically really early on thwarted by the coast guard who protects the island um there was one dude who after getting removed jumped off a boat swam to the island and tried to claim like um what is it right of um right of discovery right he was like well i swam here i shit right so they're like fighting the coast guard but they're not doing a ton Right. Um, there's a lot of students involved, right? As kind of all the movements at this time. Is this the 60s still? Yes. So we're in 69. Okay. Okay. And so there's a lot of students involved and a lot of them actually were involved in the wider civil rights movement at the time. So they kind of start taking cues from that, but they start to distrust Adam Fortunate Eagle and feel like he's working with the authorities too much. And he has, Mm. he's like, he's got a really higher status in society. Right. So he's so, almost like not radical enough. Yeah. They kind okay. of feel like he's the mainstream and right. they don't trust him and his motives or what he necessarily wants to do were they to get the land. Okay. So there's a time when Adam Fortunate Eagle and some of the other elder men in the movement are away at an educational conference that's unrelated. And the students decide they're going to do their own demonstration. So they plan like a follow up invasion. Okay. So in the early morning of November 20th, 1969, um, a group of 89 American Indians go to occupy Alcatraz Island. So it includes 
women, students, married couple, even a few children go with them. Okay. There's a partially successful blockade, so a lot of them aren't able to get to the island, but 14 people do. So 14 of them get to the island to occupy it. There's one guard on the island who had been warned that this was happened was happening. So he sends out a message of Mayday, Mayday, the Indians have landed. Oh my god. Um, I do like to think about the reverse, right? Like back in the Mayflower when they're like, Mayday, the pilgrims are here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the occupation of the island lasts 19 months. By just those 14 people? No. So okay. over time, there's as many as 400 people on the island. Holy like, shit. And so they're kind of in and out. There are some people who are there almost the whole time. Um, okay. But it's a 19-month total with some people leaving at different points and more people coming at different points. Um, And it's, they're getting a lot of help. So like I mentioned before, everything has to be imported or shipped to the island. It's not self-sustaining. So there's also a large network of people who are both Native Americans and non-Native Americans who kind of support the cause. Okay. Do a lot of work in terms of bringing things to the island, trying to get around blockades that become increasingly difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's times when, like, they can't get around the blockades to bring food and they will come through in canoe and, like, drop off supplies on the backside of the island that have to get carried up all these stairs. So they're sneaking supplies in, basically. Right. I mean, and you said, too, like, this is, like, this is not an easy place to live. Like, you need to have those. Yeah. Yeah. It's not self-sustaining at all. So they need outside sources, Um, which I think is part of why. A lot of people don't stay the whole 19 months. They go back to, like, help from the the mainland or whatever. Right. There's two men who are kind of the names that you see a lot as the leaders of the occupation on the island. So one is John Trudell and one is Richard Oakes. Um, And those names will come up. You hear them a lot. But there's also, I have a little badass babe aside, because there's a woman who is not mentioned as much or really given the same kind of recognition. But her name was Lenata Means. And she was one of the first people to arrive and one of the last people to leave the island, ultimately. And she she spent a lot of time organizing, like, written statements and speeches and kind of almost PR, right? Of, like, this is what we're asking. This is what's happening. Communications with the outside world. Okay. And so other activists, you know, had gone on to say she was the real leader of the occupation. Um, Even though she doesn't get as much credit as John and Richard. So her kind of outward stance was that the occupiers wanted complete Indian control over the island, as laid out in the Treaty of Fort Laramie, that their purpose was to build a cultural center that included Native American studies, an American Indian spiritual center, an ecology center, and an American Indian museum. So she had a whole... sounds cool as fuck. Yeah, she had a whole grant proposal written up, um... That it included, you know, full-time Indian consultants, teachers, librarians, and a fully Indian staff leading people around the center to tell the story of Indians of all tribes. Mm. Um, And one of the things they specifically cited was their treatment under the Indian termination policy. Mm. And they accused the U.S. government of breaking a number of treaties. Yeah. And so that's (laughs) part of their outward message. I feel like a number is a... Yes, a number. Low ball. (laughs) Um, there's also a, a few celebrities at the time who get involved and come for kind of, again, PR that helps get the message out. Right. Marlon Brando goes to the island at one point. Oh, shit. Which he was, I think, 
I don't know well known at the time, but I know he did a lot for like Native American activism because there was the time he won an Oscar and he sent a Native American woman to accept the Oscar on his behalf. Really? I yeah. had no idea about that. So I'd seen that. And then Jane Fonda also goes there. My girl Jane Fonda. Yes. Love her. And then some other people I never heard of, so I didn't write their name down. <laughs> Jane Fonda still looks amazing. Yes. So you start to see some kind of rifts forming and like issues in January of 1970. Mm-hmm. So Richard Oakes, one of the guys that I mentioned, his 13-year-old stepdaughter falls to her death on the island. Um, and it's just like a, a complete accident, right? It's not a Coast Guard or anything like that. She falls to her death. Um, oh, and so him and his wife leave the island, saying they just yeah. don't have the heart for it anymore. Mm-hmm. Totally fair. That does start some of the kind of like collapse of the occupation. Other original occupiers start to leave. So some decide they're going to go back to school. Um, a number of them developed drug addictions. So I don't know like what oh. drugs they had on the island or who brought them, but. A number right. developed drug addiction, so they left. Um, There's also a number of non-Aboriginal members of, like, the drug and hippie scene who started mm. moving to the island. So, like, white people? White people, yes. Okay. The, the nice yep. term in my research was non-Aboriginal, but white mm-hmm. people, yeah. um, hippies, started moving there. White and, hippies. <laughs> yes. Until they ended up making a rule that, like, if you weren't Indian, you couldn't stay overnight. <laughs> Which, like, should be a given, but... Yeah. Hippies, man. Um, And so John Trudell, the other leader guy, talked about, you know, water was their number one problem. And their number two was electricity. So the government... Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about electricity. Shit. The government would shut off electricity to the island (sighs) to try and drive them out. And, Mm -hmm. again, they would try and make it difficult for water to get there in an attempt to drive them all off the island. Right. Of course. And so after Oaks left, John Trudell, Lenata Means, and another leader named Stella Leach all kind of took up a cause of rebuilding the reputation of this occupation and of the island. Right. There is a Republican man who works for the National Council on Indian Opportunity, whose name is Robert Robertson. That's his name. Um, <laughs> he comes to the island in 1970 to try and do like kind of negotiations and communications and see what they're asking, right? And and get something figured out. Yeah. And so he comes like a week after that young girl, Yvonne Oaks, passes. And so Lenata Means ends up the main person talking to him. And they have a bunch of meetings and discussions. Um, He did actually state that he was shocked to see at the time he was there, there was only 10 men while there was 40 women present and active in the discussion. Wow. So, like, the women on the island were really kind of leading a lot of this. Hmm. That's cool. Um, So they have an initial kind of formal meeting, right, where they're all laying out their different sides and options. And Lenata Means invites her to a private dinner with her and three lawyers. And she proposes her $500,000 grant to renovate the island. So that's what I talked about before uh, with those different centers and staff. Uh, Robert Robertson refuses. And he continues to refuse all their proposals through May of 1970. So that's for like five months. He's negotiating with them, but he won't do anything. Right. And at the time, the federal government kind of steps in and they start to transfer Alcatraz to the Department of the Interior and the National Park System. 
Okay, they so they're already it. starting to do that while they're still. Yeah, and okay. so they're kind of putting it under federal purview, putting it under the national park system, which gives it different protections, things like that. Um, Lenata Means ends up leaving the island off and on a few times to go mm-hmm. negotiate. She's trying to find attorneys that will help them. And for Fair. some reason, I could not find why she gets this reputation where everyone's like, well, she's just out trying to get a movie deal. <laughs> and what? I don't know, like, she must <laughs> at some point have gotten some sort of media deal. Right. right okay. To, like, promote it. Like, why would you just but, randomly come up with that? But Yeah, I couldn't find why, but it was like, they thought she was, like, now just trying to get famous. And so by the time she's back on the island, there's, like, a distrust of her. And what ends up happening is you kind of see her and John Trudell have different opinions of how they should continue on. She's a little bit more radical, like, no, this is what we want. We're not selling for anything less. Whereas he's like, maybe we should start negotiating for this or that. And most of the occupants end up taking his side, partially because she's gone a lot. Right. And so he's there leading them. And so he's able to get everybody on his side. And so this kind of starts to, to again, lead to the occupation falling apart. So by late May, the government cuts off all electrical power and all telephone service to the island. There's also a fire of, quote, disputed origin that destroys numerous buildings on the island. So no one really knows who started it. Oh, but okay. Mm, Um, I see. Yeah. But the people who are left, so now they have no power, no fresh water, their public support has really like dwindled a bit yeah because people are over it people are over it so it's just not in the news as much and people like give up um so the number of occupiers goes down and as of june 11th there are 15 people left on the island and a large force of government officers comes in and removes them so they're removed and i mean they don't get anything they want necessarily out of this occupation in terms of the negotiations Right. It's still in the community considered a fairly successful occupation just because of the amount of media attention it got and the amount of like attention it brought to Native American issues. So there's actually a radio station at the time known as Radio Free Alcatraz that is like a sympathetic radio station and they do a lot of interviews with these different leaders. And so they're able to talk about not just the land, but all of the other kind of social issues. Oh, okay. So it gets some of that word out. And then it reminded me because I was thinking about Azkaban and then I was thinking about the radio from the last Harry Potter book. Oh, (laughs) shit. Yeah. And so then I thought about that because, again, I have a problem. You're right. Um, But the Alcatraz occupation, actually, it put enough pressure on the government that they didn't give them the land. But Nixon is president at the time. And so it's thought to contribute to things like ending the Indian termination policy mm-hmm. and passing the Indian Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act of 1975. Okay. So it does have like some influence. It just doesn't really do what they want it to do. It also leads to um, some annual kind of se- quote celebrations, right? So they have Unthanksgiving Day that welcomes all visitors to... Um, to like dawn ceremonies and the national I park literally service love that so yeah, much. They do Columbus Day and Thanksgiving Day like sunrise ceremonies on the island. So they don't own it, but it it kind of opens up a couple things. Right, but right. Alcatraz remains a property of San Francisco. There's like no stake in it held by the Sioux tribe or any other tribe. 
Um, so as of 1972, Congress created what's known as the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. Mm-hmm. And Alcatraz Island is included as part of this new unit of the National Park Service. Okay. It's one of those weird things where it's like a national park, but state owned, you know, like we have a bunch of those where it's the National Park Service controls a bunch of state parks, basically. Right. And right. so it's one of those. It's not a national park, but it's under the National Park Service. So it's a state park. Yeah. From what I could tell, okay. it's a state park, but it's like under the purview of the National Park Service. So it has the rights related to that. Got it. Um, The island opened to the public in the fall of 1973. And it became one of like the most popular park service sites. Mm. So every year, more than one million people visit Except wow. like, except like last year, right. but you know, in 2018, <laughs> the number was 1.7 million. Wow! Um, and it's kind of easy to track. There's only one touring company that takes you to Alcatraz. Oh, so I saw like, this. This is that boat. Yeah, thing. yeah, it's like Alcatraz Cruises. It's one ferry company. It takes you there. They offer X number of tours and exhibits. Right. Um, they have opened it up in the past for like art exhibits and things like that. But it all goes through this one company and it all goes through the park service. So where does that money go? Does it go to just the preservation of the park? I think so because yeah. – um, so there's a couple things. So like when I think of going to Alcatraz, I think of touring parts of the prison. Right. Um, But there's also basically a botanical garden there, right? Like there's oh, other shit. stuff on this island. So they have – and they have museum exhibits on Native American history. So they did put some of those in about the occupation specifically and some other like related history. Okay. And there's other things that aren't the prison. The prison's just the coolest part. Um, yeah. And so they have to maintain like guides and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it is still kind of eroding right like yeah like it didn't stop yeah and so in 2011 <laughs> there's a big renovation project and most of the goal of it was just to stabilize it right they're not like fixing anything up they're just stabilizing the island they did also add solar panels and a couple things like that but okay. so i think a lot of money got poured into like the restoration of it right um in 2007 actually the global peace foundation put out a proposal to flatten the prison and build a peace center in its place. Um... And so they actually had enough signatures that it was put on the ballot in San Francisco. Um, but why would you do that? Because it just generates so much money and popularity. Yeah, and shit. I guess they didn't like the idea, right? It's the peace foundation of like touring a prison, like a site of like all this violence and stuff. Yeah. I um, guess. But the plan estimated cost an estimated billion dollars so they were like nah brah and for it to work (laughs) congress would have had to take alcatraz out of the national park service okay so they would have lost any like funding and regulation there yeah um but it it didn't pass so 72 percent of voters rejected this yeah okay um and i said you know like i said COVID aside um right now you can't go to any of the indoor areas of the island they've resumed tours so you can go and walk around outside you can see like the garden areas all that but you can't go inside but when COVID's not a factor you can see like the hospital and some of the cell houses and there's an audio tour that you can take of the prison really and the audio tour actually has 
um, like voiceovers from prisoners and guards who were there at different oh, points. Oh, shit. I love that. Yeah. I got to tell you, I love a good like – I guess it's not video. I guess it is like a voiceover tour. Yeah. Like there's some really cool ones that I did when I was in Europe a couple of years ago. And it's mm-hmm. just like it was in the Churchill War Rooms. And it was just oh, so fucking yeah. cool to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't actually have like people guides. They're all audio tours even when COVID's not a thing. Um, but they're cool because they have a lot of narration from people who spent time there. Wow. I like that, though. You can kind of like dictate yourself like yeah, what you want to go to, where you want to hear it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So then we'll get to... I thought about doing creepy shit, but you did some of that. And there's mm-hmm. a bunch of ghost stories, but I do have a, a kind of conspiracy theory. Yeah. So I'm going to talk first about the big escape in 1962, which is okay. like the largest kind of single escape from Alcatraz. Yes. So there was four inmates um, who all had adjoining cells. And it was, what was that guy's first name? I'm like, I was like, so John and Claire Anglin, who were brothers, Frank Morris. And then a guy whose last name was West, and I can't remember his first name. <laughs> I don't have it. Don't you think it's, like, kind of stupid to put the brothers near each other? For sure. Alan West. Not to mention, so <laughs> these four guys knew each other. They had been transferred from another facility in Atlanta, the one I was talking about And they about were before. all, like, close together in the cells? Yes. So they're put Fucking in four dumb. adjoining cells. So they start planning an escape, like, pretty early on. Right. Right. Um... Morris, Frank Morris is kind of the leader of them, but they all work together and start planning an escape. And so they spend six months widening the ventilation ducts behind their sinks. So Mm, they will, they use discarded saw blades that they find. They use metal spoons that they snuck in from the mess hall. Dude, that's dedication. They are smart as fuck. And they improvise like a version of an electric drill drill. Using the motor of a vacuum cleaner. What? And so what they would do is, we talked about that music hour where they were allowed to play instruments. One of them played the accordion. So he would play the accordion. And at the same time, the other men would do this work. So it covered the noise. Wow. And then when they were done, they used painted cardboard to kind of cover up the holes they had made. You almost got to be like, oh, no, yeah, just escape. Like, it's worth it. You fucking earned it. (laughs) So they spend six months on these holes. Wow. Um, Once they're wide enough to pass through, every night they access a utility corridor that's left unguarded and climb to the top level of the cell block where they set up a workshop in, in secret. Holy shit. In the workshop, they do two things. They make a raft. So they accumulate like 50 raincoats. From donation bins and things people leave there and all that. And they construct life preservers. One of them happened to find they had a popular mechanics magazine and they saw something and learned to do that. Holy shit. And then they built a six by 14 foot rubber raft. They like stitched them by hand. They used pipes heat, the pipe heat to seal them. And then inflated it. Mind blown. I'm not a survivor. It's just a reminder. Same. They managed to like inflate it get paddles made from scrap wood and stolen screws and so once they had that they climbed up a ventilation shaft to the roof um they found a a fan grill in the way and so they removed the rivets that held that in place wow the other thing they did in this workshop is they used homemade paper mache and so they would use like soap toothpaste 
concrete dust, toilet paper, shit like that. And they made lifelike dummies of themselves. No fucking way. And then painted them with paint from the maintenance shop and hair from the floor of the barber shop. So they made dummy heads that looked like themselves. Oh my God. So on the night. I'm blown away right now. Yeah. On the night of June 11th, they all stuffed their bed with towels and clothing and the dummy head positioned on the pillow. Right. So like if you walked by, it looked like they were sleeping. Yep. And so they're all prepared. They start to escape. Um, Small issue happens where the cement that was kind of within their, their ventilation to help it stay put hardened and it made the hole slightly smaller Oh God. and it made the grill hard to remove in one of the areas. So oh. Alan West, by the time he is able to get out of his hole and get the grill removed, the other three guys already got out and left. Oh my God. So Alan West gets to the roof and sees they were all gone. The raft is gone and literally just like goes back to his cell and goes to sleep. <laughs> He's like, well, I guess this is yeah, it. It's like, never mind. Was that one of the brothers? No. Okay, so I was like, are John that'd be Clarence. shitty. Yeah, John and Clarence, England, and then Frank Morris. All okay. Same. Okay. West, because he's back, he completely cooperates the next day. So that's how we know all these details. Right. Is that he's like, oh yeah, so then we went up here, we made this or whatever. Oh my god. But meanwhile, the other three guys climb up to the roof. Guards do hear a loud crash, but then they don't hear anything else. So they like don't get up and look for it. Right. Um, And so the guys, you know, they climb down or they slide down a kitchen vent pipe. Then they climb two fences that are covered in barbed wire that are 12 feet tall. Holy shit. And then over near the power plant, there's a blind spot in the prison's network of like searchlights and the towers and stuff. What the fuck? So they inflate the the raft. And sometime after 10 p.m., it's estimated, they get on the raft, launch it, and depart towards Angel Island, which is two miles away. Okay. Yes. So, I, I think I've heard of that, actually. Yes. Um. So this isn't discovered till the morning. All the guards figure out they're gone. Right. They bring in the FBI immediately. Like I said, Alan West spills everything, right? He's like, yeah. okay, well, here's what happened. Please don't get me in trouble. <laughs> and the FBI- I didn't actually leave. <laughs> Yeah. From the beginning, the FBI says these guys drowned. There's never any, no one shows up on Angel Island. There's never any sighting of a raft. There's no bodies ever found. There's like no evidence of these guys. Right. Right. So the FBI says, hey, they drowned. Now, part of Alcatraz's thing is no one's ever escaped. Right. So they have like a investment in no one escaping. Mm -hmm. But the FBI since then has maintained this. But in the last couple of years... Um, their nephew has kind of come out and said, I don't think they died. What? Right. And so there's no family where it's like, and they came and they lived with us and we hid them. But there was like a recent history channel special. And so they have two nephews, David and Ken, and they offer up some evidence. So they say they received Christmas cards after 1963 that are signed by Clarence and John. delivered to the nephew's mother so the boy's sister Mm -hmm. about three years after the escape they arrived with no postage but the handwriting was a match what now they're not dated because there's no postage so in theory the nephews could have like old christmas cards old ones right right. um because they're not dated but they say they arrived three years after and so does the, the mother 
Um, the nephew also has some photos that appear to show the brothers in their 70s. So guys that look like what an aged up version of John and Clarence would look like. The wow. nephew has photos of them. Um, they did try. So they actually esca- excavated the other. There was another brother, Alfred. Okay. Who also died because he was electrocuted while trying to escape from an Alabama prison. Oh, shit. Um, but they excavate him to take his DNA to test it against various sets of bones that washed ashore. Right. Um, they don't find a match, which kind of adds to, right, well, they're, okay, we don't have a body that came from the water, so we right. don't know where they are. So and now they have that on file. Oh, my God. Um, and the FBI also received letters over the years claiming to be from John Anglin, saying they had escaped and, like, you would never find them. Holy shit. So there's no belief Frank Morris lived. Um, but these two brothers, it's there's kind of a conspiracy theory that like at least they didn't die. And there's a wide number of sightings, right, all over the world, basically. Yeah. With, yeah. You, you know, people might be saying that for fun. They might have actually seen them. They probably looked like generic white dudes, like Right, right. <laughs> but so their family is basically like, no, we have like no reason to think they actually died in the water. We think they escaped. And the FBI has basically just held. No, nope, like, no one's ever escaped Alcatraz. Yeah, no, like, that's not true. Wow. Um, but technically, the FBI eventually handed the investigation over to the U.S. Marshal Service. And their investigation's not officially closed. Oh, so they're there's, still looking into it. There's an active warrant for these guys, in theory. Right? I mean, they would, would these jabronis still be alive? Um, I don't really think now that they yeah. would. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were born in like the 20s and 30s. So they would be so they fucking ancient. Could, like, okay, so the one guy like was born in 20s, 90s. 90s. The one guy was born in 26, and I have an uncle who was born in 26, and he's 94. He's my great okay. great uncle. Okay. Um, but he is alive, but he's 94. So they would have to be like very old. Right, right. Right. Um, but. In the last, like, you know, 20 years or so, whenever the nephews started saying this stuff. um, Good for them, though. Like, I know that sounds terrible. No, like, they're fucking I mean, they criminals, worked hard. But, like, they earned it. They worked the paper hard. Mache hat, uh, the paper mache yeah. heads were, like, a really good extra Yeah, like, something. they went for it. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, technically, they don't. The marshal service does not close warrants, so there's an open warrant until they either are found or confirmed dead in any way. Wow. Um, and like I said, there's been sightings, like, as recently as 2020, there was a s- alleged sighting in Brazil, and facial recognition to- technology, all sorts of advanced science shit, like, said right. that there was a high confidence level that the brothers were John and Clarence. Holy or the people shit. were... So, I don't know. Good for them. So that's our, Frank Morris, I think, is dead. But the, the brothers... Yeah, the brothers are probably still alive, I bet. I, or survived, for sure. Yeah, they survived and may or may not be alive now, but seem to have, like, lived their life out somewhere. Right. Yep. Um. Huh. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I pretty much just have, like, some spooky shit. Like, yeah. So some of the creepy stuff, uh, there's three or four different places specifically. So um, in 
I'll start with the least creepy. So when you go to cell blocks A, B, and C, typically visitors are reported as hearing crying and moaning. Um, There have been incidents where a visiting psychic wrote that while they were in block C, uh, he encountered a disruptive spirit named Butcher. Um, okay. Later on, that's right. the name I want to see for a spirit. Yeah, that's. Like, could you fucking imagine somebody's like, uh, "Please tell me your name," and they're like Butcher. Butcher. You're like, "Well, this is unfortunate." I was hoping for something like Bill, you know, right? Even um, creepy. I take creepy over Butcher. Creepy over Butcher too. Or what's worse is like being with the psychic and being like, "I know you can't see him, but there is a man here who's calling himself Butcher. Right? He's standing we should right leave. behind you. We yeah. should leave." Um, so what's weird about that story is that prison records actually showed that there was an inmate in Block C. Um, so another inmate in Block C murdered a man named uh, Ab- Abby Maldowitz, okay. who was a mob hitman known as Butcher or the Butcher. Oh. So, that. yeah, definitely weird. Um, Wa- uh, Warden Johnston is another, like, infamous figure that sort of like circulates throughout the prison so he was nicknamed the golden rule warden um and he apparently like (laughs) he experienced this bizarre event while he was showing some of his guests around the prison which i feel like is so weird be like oh we're going to warden johnston's house for dinner tonight let's go look at all the prisoners and apparently according to the story johnson and his group had heard someone sobbing from inside one of the prison walls um and then all of the guests felt this cold wind pass them and then the crying stopped and it just like disappeared. And so he could never actually explain any reason that those occurrences happened. Um, the craziest one is this one fucking gives me chills. Okay, so <laughs> cell 14 D. So we already know that D block is not great. Right. This was one of the whole cells. All right. Okay. So it's also like further back. It's not easily accessible. This is one of the most active places on the island. So visitors and employees have reported feeling this type of, they call it a raw coldness, that it like just feels like there's some type of brutal intensity in, in terms of being cold that just encompasses the entire cell. So there's one story that says that in the 1940s, a prisoner was locked in 14D as punishment. The guards heard this have heard him screaming throughout the night that a creature with glowing eyes was there and was killing him. And he just kept screaming this over and over and over. And the guards were not supposed to do anything with it. They were just Mm-mm. supposed to sit there and listen. So the next day when the guards were there to do their count, they opened the cell door and they found the man strangled to death in the cell. No one ever claimed responsibility. There was no indication that anyone had been in or out. They couldn't find what had actually strangled him. But the next day, after they discovered his body, when the guards were doing counts, they counted one too many prisoners. They counted him as being there because they claimed to have seen him in line with the other inmates, but only for like a second. And then he vanished. I'm good. Thanks. So, So, yeah. So there's tons of different stories like that. A lot of it is also centered around... um, Al Capone as well. So sometimes you can hear like banjo music playing in the showers where he was uh, reported to practice a lot. Um, A lot of it is whistling too, which honestly, I feel like I'd rather hear a voice than a whistle. Yeah, I don't like the whistle. I could explain away a voice, but if I hear someone like whistling something, I think I'd like lose my shit. Yeah, that's creepy. Um, 
but yeah, so there's a lot of things. But actually, what's interesting is that um, the people who report ghost stories now, right, or the visitors who, right, or the workers, but people, even inmates and the um, officers, when this was a functioning prison, also reported this. Yeah, stuff. like from when it was a military. Yeah, thing. yeah. So like, there's like all of these different reports of like ghosts and spirits and just these like really negative feelings mm-hmm. happening all over the place no matter what like it hasn't just been like today as like a tourist attraction you know prisoners were like no i could hear whistling i could hear talking and like the guards were pretty strict on like sound and stuff like that right which i think is like kind of an interesting it makes me wonder like if people knew the restriction of sound was like part of the reason why they're like let's make sounds as ghosts Ooh, maybe <laughs> you know so i did see one like clip from ghost adventures ghost one of those shows where they like Mm -hmm. stayed at alcatraz overnight and ghost bros they hear (laughs) yeah they hear a like voice or a sound and they say can you repeat that and then you just hear it go no (laughs) yeah yeah dude oh i every time they do stuff like that i i mean i totally believe in ghosts like i'm such a weirdo for it but i just feel like there are just certain places that hold a lot of energy like that and in a place mm-hmm. like Alcatraz I feel like it's hard to like not have that energy stick around yeah I mean if anywhere's gonna be haunted yeah like an old it's probably prison makes sense right where people were fucking kept in a place yeah. they called the hole so right yeah yep. so yeah that's yeah. uh that's Alcatraz yeah this was a deep dive I really liked this it one it was it was a long one but it was fun yeah there's some good stuff bad stuff creepy yeah. stuff stuff it's just stuff <laughs> mispronunciation it's fine again it's fine <laughs> tell me how i can say like french words but i can't say you that can, one yeah you do the french words fine regimen <laughs> fucking stupid it's fine <laughs> all right nerds thanks okay. for listening bye. talk to you next week bye thank you for listening to what the history Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHistoryPod. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at WTHistoryPodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear feedback or episode ideas or anything else you have to say. You can support us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash WTHistoryPodcast and get exclusive access to even more nerdy stuff. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday when new episodes are released, and we will see you next time.